Good morning, church. Um, it's always it's always great to to hear people chatting away, and um, yeah, it's, it's it's a great part of being um, together um, that we can't keep you know um, talking to each other, and you know we we are a body of Christ and we are a family, so um, it's lovely to see everyone's face this morning. Is that is that fine? Can you hear me? Okay, great. All right. Um, so, for those who don't know me, my name is Tommy. Um, I am one of the elders at uh, the church here, and um, we are we've been going through the book of Peter, First uh, Peter, for um, about two um, Sundays now, and um, it's been uh, wonderful just sort of digging into this um, word that we're going to go through today. And today we're going to be talking about. Um, our life as exiles here on, on earth. Um, Nick Oldfield, who I don't see today, uh, was very helpful last week in talking us through um, what it was like in the time of Nero and um, how the church were um, persecuted greatly and how they, they had to endure great hardships under a terrible emperor. And Peter's writing to the church was within the context of um, great intense suffering. Is it it me or am I getting some reverbs on this? Yeah? All right, okay. Maybe I need to uh, talk louder. I don't know. Um, So we'll we'll, we'll work through that. So, thanks, Tom. So Peter is talking to a church that are undergoing great um, intense suffering. And... Many of them have been displaced due to the persecutions. Uh, many of them um, are, have, have, just, have just had a rough time within whatever context they're living in. And so Paul is writing to these people and saying, look, you have to remember that what you're going through today is not always going to be what um, you're going to go through forever. You are here temporarily. temporarily. You're here as exiles. Um, the earth is not our final home. We're going, to, we're going somewhere. And it's my purpose today to, um, to unpack what this means for us in our modern context. Um, we're not under Nero, we're not under intense suffering, at least not in this part of the world, but we are exiles. And how we think about our time on earth here determines how we spend our time here, how productive we are here on earth and what our future would look like. And so we come to First Peter chapter 1. Now, I'm just going to read, I'm reading from verse 13 to 21. We're going to go from verse 13 to 21, but I will just focus firstly on verses 13. Therefore, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you because your word is living and your word is a lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you will unpack this word for us to the speaker and to the hearer, that we will not just be hearers of this word, but we will be doers of this word, Lord. And that in doing this word, we will bear much fruit to the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. So, we are exiles on earth. We are here temporarily. Um, I celebrated my birthday about a week ago, a week and a day ago, um, and I, I found out that as... Each birthday I celebrate, I am not as excited as when I used to be much younger. 
You know, the, I don't, my kids are more excited about my birthday than I am. I find that I'm a lot more com- contemplative about my birthday and thinking, okay, um, where am I now? And it's weird. I, I do this, this just ridiculous thing. I think by this time, Jesus Christ has finished his ministry. By this time, Alexander the Great had conquered half the world. What are you doing with your life? Tell me. <laughs> it's ridiculous, I know. Um, but but I, 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 I hold myself to account to just sort of say, okay, where am I? You know, am I doing what God has called me to do? Um, am, I, um, am I wasting my life away? Because I'm getting older, right? And I'll, speak, I'll talk to my friend. I spoke to my friend. We were best friends growing up. And we just talk about all the th- crazy things we did. And that was like a, that was a blink of an eye ago. And in a blink, I'll be 68. And another, and another blink, I'll be, on the other side of, I'll be on the other side of eternity, right? We are passing through this world, right? It's not always going to be here. And no one goes on a journey and thinks to themselves, well, I've got to stop at a, uh, you know, a, a restroom on the side of the road. And they get to the restroom and think, you know what? I've still got three hours on the clock. So you know what? I'm just going to make this restroom my home. Nobody does that. You don't walk into um, the roadside stop and see someone that's got TV there and a couch there. You're like, what's going on? Because it's a stopover. It's a temporary place. It's not permanent. This earth is not meant to last forever, and it will not last forever. Contrary to what people out there may think, there is more. And this is why Peter reminds his listeners, he he says to them, prepare yourself for action. He says, preparing your mind for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that is to come. Whenever I I travel to Manchester um, to visit my family, uh, Manchester is about maybe three and a half, four hour journey, um, and I've got two kids, and it's a, it's a five-hour journey, right, or five-and-a-half-hour journey, whatever it is, I have to prepare myself for it, because it's not like when myself and my wife were just, it was just us, we could just, you know, oh yeah, we'll, we'll skip the toilet break, we'll just go for it. You can't do that with kids, right? So the day before, I don't have to sleep up, I have to rest up, we have to pack everything, I have to have my mind in the right state because I know there's going to be a kid crying in the back of the car, there's going to be snots flying over the place, right? <laughs> You've got to prepare your mind for action because you, you're going on a long journey. You've got to rest up, you've got to be ready, you have to be sober-minded, you can't have, a, uh, you can't have a, a drink the night before because, you know, you wake up all groggy. You have to be sober-minded, that's what Peter's saying to, to his listeners, that you're on a journey here. So you have to prepare your mind for like someone that is on a mission, on a journey. And then what does it say? It says, set your minds fully on the grace that is to be revealed on you. Fully, the word fully. If you, if you have your Bible again, I will encourage you because I'm going to be going through the scriptures today. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to take it out. Um, the word fully means 100%, Right? No holding back. Set your mind fully on the grace. That means when you wake up in the morning, set your mind fully on the grace. When you, you're about to go to sleep at night, set your mind fully on the grace. When you are at work and work's all choppy and crazy and busy and stressful, set your mind fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Christ. So there's something about this grace, right? You know, we, we sing the song, Amazing Grace. You know, we sing the song, you know, that saved the wretch like me, 
right? So we, we, we think about grace as something that we have today, and it is something that we have been given today. We have been given the grace to come to God, to, to, to come to God like children approach their father. We've been given the grace to, to live life in, in freedom in Christ. We've been given the grace, but there is something about this grace that is going to be brought to us. There is something that is coming. Now let's unpack this word grace. The word grace essentially means undeserved or unmerited favor. There's nothing in your life, there's nothing in your bank account, there's nothing in your lineage, in your ancestry that guarantees or makes you to deserve that grace. It's undeserved. There's nothing in you that can say, well, I earned it. That's, that's, the, that's the thing we need to understand about this grace. It's, there's nothing in us that gives, gives us this grace. And so we see, set your mind fully on the grace. Now, if you read the Bible and you, you're reading from a, a particular chapter or a, 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 an area and you see the word, therefore, the only thing you can do if you are to get the most out of that is to go back. Whenever you, you see the word, therefore, you need to go back and understand what is it talking about, right? Don't just read, when you see therefore, don't just read blah, 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 blah. You have to stop. Therefore, what is it talking about? You have to go back a little bit. And so we're going to try and unpack what this grace is. And if you see in, um, in, in, in the previous verses, as we read, it says in from, from verses 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So there is something we, we, we heard last week about a living hope that we, we, we have, a hope that is not of this world, a hope that is not, I kind of hope that, you know, I, I will have a, a, a good Sunday roast after the service. No, no, it's a, it's a certainty about a hope, but this is, this, this is a living hope about something that has been held in store for you. And this thing is described, an inheritance. That means something you get. It's not... It, there's, a, there's a physical thing. There is something you get. There's an inheritance. This is not a, a, a ephemeral, a something you can't touch, something that is, you know, in the air, you can't really feel. There's something there. And this thing is described as imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Three words that speak to the eternality, speak to the perfection, speak to the fact that this thing doesn't rust, doesn't diminish over time. So what is so special about this inheritance? This is, this is the grace. This, you know, this, I'll unpack this grace. This, it comes in two forms within this chapter. So grace comes in firstly described as this unfading inheritance. So what, what is this unfading inheritance? If we look um, in John 14, 1 to 3, and I'll read here. Jesus was um, getting ready to be crucified. He was preparing his people and kind of preparing himself also for what was going to take place. And then he was just edifying them and teaching them and encouraging, encouraging them. And then he says, because they were downcast. They'd been with this guy for three years. And he, and he said, I'm about to leave you guys now. So they were so downcast. He says, let your, not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If we're not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, 
I will come again and take you with myself, that where I am, you also may be. Have you ever come across people who are wealthy? And I'm, I mean, loaded, right? They, they say things sometimes, and you kind of do a little, little double take. And you just go, man, that guy's loaded. You know, they'll say things like, oh, I'm, oh yeah, I was having a stressful week, so I went to the Seychelles just to, you know, just to think about some things. And you think, what, you went to the Seychelles? You went to the Maldives? What, just like that? Yeah, you know, I just, I just jumped on my private jet. There's something casual about it. And it's not like they're trying to boast or trying to make you feel bad. It's just, that's just the level of wealth that they have and the level that they operate at. And, and, and we might go, oh, I don't understand that kind of life. But we, we kind of do that sometimes because, for example, for example, you might say, oh, oh, I don't have enough food in the fridge, so I'm going to go to, to Sainsbury's and pick up some stuff and spend 20 quid. To some people on the other side of the world, that is luxury. They're like, what, you just walked in there and got all the stuff? Wow, you must be loaded. That's, that's casual to you. And I get that sense when Jesus speaks here. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. That's a, that's a loaded person talking. It's like, if it weren't so, I would not have told you. He's not bragging there. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. So what is Christ doing right now? Yes, he's interceding on behalf of the saints. Yes, he's sustaining everything right now through the power of his word. Yes, he's holding everything. Yes, he's bringing people into his kingdom. But he's also doing some major DIY refurbishments right now. He's preparing a place for you. That means he's building a purpose-built palace, a, a room, a space for you. He knows you. And says, I know what this person likes. This person likes to recline in this way. This person likes to put their head this way. This person likes things in this angle, likes this kind of aesthetics. He's preparing a place for you. That's what he's doing right now. And then says, I will come again and I'll take you to myself. This is the inheritance he's talking about. Let's unpack this inheritance a little bit more. We had a uh, uh, end times uh, 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 conference seminar about uh, over a month ago, but in March, and it was very helpful. And you can find this on our on our YouTube channel. Very very helpful. And I was listening to this again, and I was just like, "This is so rich." So let's let's go to the Book of Revelation, and I will go quickly through this as quickly as I can because it, it's awesome. Revelation twenty one, John on the island of Patmos was giving this amazing revelation of what will come at the time of the end. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21 verses 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. If anyone's been to a wedding, right, you see people all dressed lovely and beautifully. But when the bride walks into the room, you know that's the bride. You know that's the bride. Because the bride is spectacularly dressed and adorned. And the city that is coming out of heaven is described as spectacular, magnificent. And then we read on from in the same chapter from verses 10, it says, 
And he carried me, he being the angel that was with John, carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down from heaven. This is very important because it says, I've got to prepare a place for you. And it says, there is an inheritance. And Peter, Peter says, there's an inheritance. We stood up where? In heaven. So this, this place is in heaven. And it's coming from God. It's where God is right now. And it's coming from God. That's what it says. It's coming, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. Having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel. Like jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall with 12 gates and the gates 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates. On the north, three gates. On the south, three gates. And on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations. And on them were the names, the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates and its walls. And the city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. Now we're going to do some math, okay? Its length, the same as its width and height. So if you have a shape, the same length, the same width, the same height, what, what do you have? So I heard someone say square. <laughs> length, width, height. We're talking about three-dimensional, cube. To all those who say cube, well done for paying attention in math class. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width are equal, and he also measured his wall. And it talks about the, the wall of the city was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, like clear glass. There was no impurity in this gold. So refined, the, the gold was like glass. That means you could see your reflection in this glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. So those 12 foundations were made of 12 jewels. The first was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third, agate. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, onyx. The sixth, carnelian. The seventh, crystallite. The eighth, beryl. The ninth, topaz. The tenth, chrysoprase. The eleventh, jacinth. And the twelfth, amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city, the streets of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Glass. Now, what that tells me is it's a beautiful city, but the most rare jewels in our world today is the least precious things in that city. We use asphalt for our roads. Why? Because you can't. Asphalt comes out of crude oil. It's the, it's the end gunk out of crude oil, right? You can't do much with it. So we use it for our road because it lasts for a while. You can, you know, compact it together and, and use it for a while. But it's, it's, it's quite cheap. Rubbish, really. That's what the city of that city, uh, that's what the streets of that city is made up of. Now, if we can prepare the, um, the image that I, I put together, 12,000 stadia. What does that mean in our, in our numbers? Um, that converts to 1,380 miles. So I went on Google Map and did a little <laughs> drawing, right? 1,380 miles by 1,380 miles, high 1,380 miles. It's not really a city like London or Jerusalem or New York. It, it's, the best way I can describe it is it's a superstructure. And it comes out of heaven. 
if you go to the next, the next image, the Hubble telescope orbiting the Earth is about 350 miles in our, in, our, in our atmosphere, right? This city goes on over a thousand miles beyond that. It's ridiculously, it's just spectacular. This is what has been prepared in heaven. So when Christ says, in my father's house there are many mansions, he was understating it, I would say. He was underselling. This is an impressive city. And it says God himself would dwell in the city. And what I find even very interesting about this, as, as amazing as the city is, if you, if you go to the third slide, this is, this is something that I, I went to town a little bit and did some more calculation. And I said, okay, fine. If, if we want to see how far away can you see the ramparts of the city, if that city was located, that part of the world that we put it in, that means you can see that city practically from all of China, all of India, most of Africa, right, maybe the tip of the very lowest part of Africa, like the end of South Africa, won't be able to see it, the top of it, all of Europe, North, North Europe, all the way to Greenland, you will be able to see, if you come out of your house in the morning and you looked up, you will see the top of the city. That's how high it is. That's why it talks about in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, that there was a mountain that destroys the image that Nebuchadnezzar sees. And this rock fills the earth, a great giant mountain, mountain, and there's light emanating from this thing. The world will be absolutely dazzling from this city. This is the inheritance that is laid up and being prepared in heaven for you. And as amazing as that is, the Bible says, eyes have not seen, ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the thoughts of man what God is preparing for those who love him. What that means is that as amazing as that city is, we can't even quite fathom the glory that is to come. That's the first thing that is coming, the grace, the undeserved grace coming for us. The second thing is eternal salvation. First Peter 1.9 talks about the, the, the grace that is, is, is coming in the form of the salvation of our souls. And it talks about it in, in, in this way. It says, though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul. The second grace we receive is the salvation of our souls. Now this salvation is something that... that we, we, we get in twofold. Our souls is saved in the sense that we get to live with God forever and ever. And, and in a sense, everyone lives forever. No one truly ceases to exist in the sense that consciousness doesn't exist. Some people have that theory or, or, or that understanding. That's not true. We all live forever. But the difference is some people live forever away from the love of God and some people live forever in the presence and in the love for God. Some people live forever under the judgment of God. And some people live forever under the blessings and the felicity and the joy of God. And what salvation basically is, is that we were called into Christ, who are part of the family of Christ, get to live forever. Our souls are redeemed and we, we become the family of God. We become heirs of this great blessing and we live forever. You see, it is the state of all mankind that we, under Adam and under sin, 
we fell away and we are all deserving of the judgment of God. So it's not like you have the good people and the bad people. All have sinned, the Bible tells us. But it says that God desires that none should perish, but that all should repent. This is in 2 Peter 3, 9. But there's, an, an, there's another element about this salvation. is that it's not just the fact that our souls live forever with God, but our bodies are regenerated. There is a newness that comes with this. Paul writes, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of, a, of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed, for this perishable body must be put on imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. It's living eternal an eternal life in a body that is super, a super body, free of disease, frail to weakness, disability. It says also in the same Corinthians 15, Paul says that our new bodies will be like that of the risen Christ. And if you remember the risen Christ, he ate grilled, grilled, fish, grilled fish, which means your new body will be able to eat. There will be eaten in a new heaven and a new earth. Your new body will be able to move incredible distance at a twinkling of an eye. Your new bodies will not be subjected to pain. He had a hose in his hand and he wasn't crying. There was this is something that is regenerated about his body. It says we will be like the angels in heaven. Christ says that we will, not, we will not be having sex because we'll be like the angels in heaven. There'll be no sexual relations. There won't be no need to procreate. It will be an, an amazing experience. An amazing experience to think about this new life that God is, is bringing to us. And so the grace of God that Peter sent to, to, to the people here, set your hope fully on the grace is this inheritance being prepared in heaven and this new life, this redeemed soul, this new body that we will get. What a time. We think, some people think, you know, heaven is going to be, you know, people sitting on clouds, playing harps and just going, oh, holy God, holy are you, Lord. Oh, what, 10,000 years? Holy are you, Lord. You know, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be exploration. There's going to be finding out about, wow, how do you make this? Some people even advocate it's going to be technology, like just, just exploring the vastness of the glories of God. And, and that, what that looks like is all the things that God has created. And we, get, we get a glimpse now. The scientists have made new discoveries and go, wow, amazing. Our brains are going to be like 20 billion times bigger then. And we're just going to be like, wow, that's amazing. A new heaven and a new earth. An inheritance and the salvation of our souls. This is the grace that says, set your hope fully on. You don't get any of that here. You, you, you have a new house. Well, I have a two-acre house. Well, yeah, I've arrived. Yeah, two-acre house. You're going to have an amazing palace in that new heaven and new earth. Set your hope fully on that. Knowing this, now Paul gives his listeners three motivators, and I'm going to walk through this as quickly as I can. Three motivators to prepare our minds for action during our short period on earth. And it says, it, it gives it to us in three ways. Firstly, it, it reminds us that we are children and citizens. And that's why Paul says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your own 
in your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Now, God has brought us into his family. He, he is our father. And he, he says, if you are my children, I want you to be like me. Every father wants his children to be like them. In the sense that they want, they, they, they want, no one wants to say, oh, your child doesn't look like you. You know, nobody likes that. Oh, yeah, you, you know, your child is, if you, if you think you have a, an amazing face and you say, oh, your child is so ugly, you know, nobody goes, oh my goodness, you know, that's such a great compliment. Everyone wants their children to be like them. God is no different. And what is God? God you know, God is so many things. He's all-powerful, almighty, he's awesome, he's spectacular. He's vast, he's infinite. But the way the angels describe him is that he is holy. The angels have spent unfathomable time with him, looked at him, assessed him, analyzed him. And what did they do? They just say, holy, 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 holy. That's the only way they can describe him. He's different. He's so far removed and set apart and special. He is different. He's holy. And God says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. If you're being honest with yourself, you have to say, how can you ask that of me, God? Like, how can you ask me to be like you? The angels are struggling. I'm not even nowhere that the angels, you want me to be like you. And the angels can't even look into your face. That's a tall order. Be holy as I am holy. Christ said this in Matthew. He says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's like, <laughs> you don't make this easy, do you? How then do we attain this holiness? God says in his word, draw near to me. And I'll draw near to you. We see this in James chapter 4. We grow in holiness by daily drawing near to God. And we draw near to him in prayer and looking intently into his face in the word. The mistake we make is that we think about holiness as a state of arrival. Now I have arrived. Now I am the holy being. No. We think it's something of doing X, Y, and Z. But I put it to you this morning that the journey of holiness begins and continues daily by drawing near to God. It is in the drawing near to God in the place of prayer, in the place of worship, in the place of understanding his word and understanding who he is. That's where we become more and more holy. That's where our appetite for doing God's things become greater and greater. We recently looked at Exodus and, and looked at Moses and looked at his story and, and how he saw God in the burning bush. He saw God and in, in the power of God in the ten plagues and, and he saw God, the power of God at the, at, at, at the Red Sea, how God just lifted the, the, the waters like curtains. He saw God in, 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 in the provision of manna. He saw God as God descended on the mountain in Sinai. And Moses walked up to the mountain and so God, in all these places, if any of us had one of those experiences, oh boy, you know you're going to have the title prophet before your name. Anyone comes to you and addresses you by first name, oh, hold on, I'm prophet. I'm special. But Moses wasn't satisfied. He was greedy. He saw God. He went to God on the mountain. And he said to God, 
Now let me see your face. God must have chuckled. And God said to him, no, no one sees my face and survives. But God is a father. My daughter comes to me when I'm in my, my study space, space. And she knows she's not supposed to come and disturb daddy. But she'll come and stick a little toe on the door. And then she'll look at me with a snot-covered face. And then we'll cast eyes on each other. And, and I'll be like, all right, come in. And I'll bring her and put her on my legs. And I'll work with one hand. And she'll be there because I don't have it in my constitution to say, go away. And I'm not even a great father. God is the perfect father. And so when Moses says, I want to see your face, I must have looked at him like a child. No, you can't, you can't do that. You'll die. God says, okay, fine. I'm going to keep you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hands over you. I'm going to put a force field, a shield over you. And I'm going to cause my glory to walk and pass before you. And then I will get you to see a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of the effervescence of my glory. That's all Moses got. He didn't get to see into the face of God. He got a glimpse whilst God was covering him in the cleft of a rock. And what happened? Moses comes down from the mountain and his face was ablaze. And the people were like, oh, alien, alien. <laughs> Why? Because he drew near to God. And God says, if you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. When we draw near to God, we increase in holiness. I've lived, lived at that point long enough. The second thing that Peter writes to us is that we worship an impartial God. God is impartial. God says that you are my children and I have created this thing for you. I have given you an inheritance. I am going to give you a new body. You will enjoy the new heaven and new earth with me at the end of all days. But God has expectations on his children. He has expectations on us. Christ says that many will say unto me in the last days, Lord, Lord, did I not do all these amazing works in your great name, in your name? Christ's response is so chilling. It says that on that day, he'll say, get away from me, you workers of lawlessness. Which means God has a standard. God is not going to turn to the world and judge the world. And if the people who are his own children are doing what the world is doing and say, I'm going to give you a pass, then he will not be a good judge. He will not be a good father. He will not be worthy of his title. So Peter reminds them, remember, we are called to live as holy people, but we serve an impartial God. That's why God says, that's why it says in Galatians 5, 7 to 9, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he reaps. For one who sows in his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. God desires that his children bear fruits. We read in Ephesians 2.10 that we are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. We, it, it says we are God's workmanship created in, time to, in Christ to do good works. But these works have been prepared for us. Uh, the mistake we make is thinking that I have to formulate the good works. I have to formulate the fruit. It's like, no, it's already been prepared for you. You just need to walk in it. One of the reasons we find ourselves not bearing good fruits, one of the reasons why we find ourselves not doing good works is because we busy ourselves doing that which doesn't edify, that which is not of God. 
A good example of this is King David. It says that King David, um, during, it says that if you look at the narration, it says during the time kings go to war, David was in his palace and reclining and chilling. During the time kings go to war, the springtime, the, the, the season when the campaign begins, he was idle. He already had work to do. And because he wasn't doing what he'd been called to do, he almost destroyed his kingdom because he fell into grave sin. Almost destroyed his kingdom. God says, I've prepared works for you to do. You don't even have to, you don't have to even think about it. I've got works for you to do. God doesn't tell you flee from sin and just keep running. He says, flee, but there's stuff to do. He's prepared works for us to do. Therefore, we must arm ourselves with this knowledge that it's, God is not just saying to us, I don't want you to do this, I don't want you to do that. God is saying, no, I want you to do all these things I've prepared for you to do. There's work for you to do. We have a church here. Um, there, there's things to do, people to serve, people to meet, all sorts of stuff. God says, I have work for you to do in Ipswich. And then thirdly, we are redeemed at a great price. This is the third motivator to remind ourselves as, as people in exiles that we have been redeemed at a great price. In the, in the world of diplomacy, if you come across someone that's sort of a low-level citizen, that nobody knows their name, right? And they've been kidnapped and there's a hostage situation. Maybe a, peop- a person or two might raise up their, their case. Maybe the government may do something about it. But if you have someone that's high-profile, very connected, very special, maybe a diplomat has been kidnapped, oh, it's going to be a big deal. And the government will move heaven and earth to get that person back. And what that means is that the amount of a ransom speaks volume to the worth of the hostage. In the same way, Peter reminds us that we were not ransomed by gold or silver or the empty practices that was given to us by our ancestors. We were ransomed and brought into the household of God through the precious blood of Christ. And Christ reminded one of his disciples during um, the latter part of the book of John and says that, the disciples said to, go to, 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 to Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus was like, have you not been around for the past three years? If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. In Colossians 1, 15 to 17, Christ is described as the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That doesn't mean he was the first person to be created. That doesn't mean he was created. That means he was first before creation. That means all creation came after him. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion, rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Christ is simply not a teacher or a decent man or a good person. He is the creator of all things visible and invisible. And in some cultures, they, people talk amongst each other and say, wow, have you seen the, the new bride? Wow, she, they paid 10 cows for her dowry. Wow, 10 cows, it's amazing. And then some people will say, wow, did you hear about the other bride? They paid 40 cows for that, 40 cows, amazing. Oh, did you hear about that lady? She got 1,000 cows for her dowry. Whoa, 1,000 cows. She's a 1,000 cow dowry bride. That's what happens in some cultures. You, what was your price? 
It was the one that created all the cows and all the planets and all the suns and all the galaxies in the ever-expanding universe. It was his life that was used to ransom you. What does that say about your worth? Peter reminds his people, he says, remember the high cost it took to ransom you. It was Alpha and Omega himself who paid by his own blood for you. And you might be here today, you might be saying to yourself, I, I, no one sees me. You, you don't know what I am going through. God said, I paid a great price for you. I see you. He sees you. You might say, I've sinned. I've, I have, I've, I'm so far away from God. I'm so far away from him. No, he says that you are a special person. And if you are a special person, what does that mean? It means you have to conduct yourself as a special person. The bride who is worth 10,000 cows is different from the bride who is worth one cow. One walks with her head held high. And the other one kind of like, oh yeah, just one cow. We were redeemed by the very image of God, the, the, the image of the invisible God, the Alpha and Omega himself. That means we have to conduct ourselves differently. What does this, to wrap this all together, and I'm just going to invite uh, the, the worship team to come up today. And as I was going through this, I had in mind a, a particular person who is saying that my life is too messy for this God. I am not worthy of that price. I'm not worthy to be called his own. There is, his standard is too high for me. He's too holy. You have to remember this story. That on the cross, while people were persecuting and abusing Christ, one thief turned and said, he's a good man, and I deserve what I am going through. And all the thieves said to Christ was, remember me. Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and it's almost like before he finished saying it, Christ says, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. The heart of Christ is so soft, so eager, so willing. Yeah. He's just saying, turn away. And just turn to me and say, remember me, Lord. That's all he's asking for. And he says, today you will be with me. And so we're going to pray now, and there will be opportunities to pray today. And I just want to encourage you, if you feel like I need this salvation, I want to be part of the family, this new age to come. Christ says, turn to me. Repent of your sins. You are not good enough, but he is more than able to clothe you with his righteousness and to give you new life. And so, Father, we thank you because you are faithful. We thank you that we can come to you like a child approaches her father. Help us to do the works that you've prepared for us since before the foundation of the earth. Help us to conduct ourselves 
as bride of Christ, paid with such a great price. Help us each and every day. And for those who feel they are so far away, please draw them to you, Father. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen.